Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad. Hi, this is Ryan Eugene Hopkins from your Edmonton Oilers. You're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio 630 Chad. All right, thanks for tuning in. Inside Sports on Chad. Giants leading the Cubs 2-1, bottom of the fourth, and the Giants have the bases loaded. We'll keep an eye on that one. The Dodgers beat the Nationals earlier to force Game 5. Western Hockey League. My goodness, the shots are now 16-2 in favor of the Oil Kings against the Vancouver Giants, but there is no score five and a half minutes into the second period. Hey, thanks for tuning in. My name is Reed Wilkins. Oilers and Flames tomorrow night on Ched. We'll start the face-off show at 6. It'll include a couple of uh, special bits, including uh, a special on Rogers Place, a special on the Oilers' off-season changes and the usual uh, pre-game interviews and banter and all that fun stuff. Uh, be in your seat by 7.45 if you're going and some pre-game stock uh, puck drop likely in the 8.30, 8.45 range tomorrow night. So we'll be a bit of a late one, but it should be a fun one. Hey, I'm pleased to welcome to the show author Marty Klinkenberg. Hey, Marty, how are you doing? Oh, I'm doing very good tonight, Reed. Uh, thanks for having me. Author? You know, everything's, everything's great. We're on the, you know, we're on the uh, eve of the NHL season. We've got hockey weather. Everything's going fine. All right, uh, your new book. I mean, we talked about this when it was announced. Is this out today already? The McDavid effect. How how does it feel, man? Yeah. Oh well, I'll tell you what. It's very exciting. Yes, McDavid effects out today. It should be in it should be in stores today, and you know, and online and things. And you know, the the timing is fortuitous. You know, it's it's the day before the season, and it's going to be featured on. I'll do a reading on on Thursday night. Um, it's being featured on the launch of the Edmonton Lit Fest, so it's very, it's very exciting. It feels good, and I, and it feels, you know, to me, it feels timely. I think that uh, that you know, Connor's a, barring, you know, barring uh, injury, uh, Connor's on the verge of. I, I feel a, a real breakout season. Marty, I got to ask you this: a lot of people have, uh, you know, famous people get books written about them later in their life or sometimes after they've passed away. What was it like writing a book about an 18, 19-year-old and framing it? I'll tell you, that's a, you know, that's a really good question because when I was, when I was uh, initially, as I was talking to, you know, I, was, I talked to a few publishing companies and the book ended up being published by Simon & Schuster. But uh, a couple of the companies that, uh, publishers that I talked to, and they were, they were all kind of the major ones you you know, you could probably think of. Uh, two of them said to me, well, is this going to be a tell-all? And and I kind of laughed, and I said, he's 18, and, you know, a few months removed from high school. You know, I mean, I don't, <laughs> you know, there's, when it comes to that, you know, I, I don't think that there's much, you know, we know about his 
about his hockey career. He's a great hockey player, but you know, there's there's nothing to to tell, like in terms of you know digging up dirt on somebody or something like that. So so uh, that was something that so that was something that uh, that happened. Um, I mean, it was it was very unexpected and and it was very it was very exciting and you know I I thought that beginning of the season you know after after kind of getting getting used to the style of play and playing against some really tough tough teams in the first you know the first four games you know he came into his own and you know he was going to have that eighty you know eighty. Eighty to ninety point season last year too, and then he got hurt. But, but it was you know, as dealing with an eighteen year old, I think I mean you're there, you're there on a daily basis too, and I mean I think that Connor is a really quiet, quiet young man, young man to begin with. And on top of that, he's eighteen, and and so so you know at, at times it was you know at times it was difficult, but it was always fun, and you know never once did I that I. You know, did I see him ever be ever impolite or anything like that? All right. Uh, when he was named captain, he commented on it, and a lot of other people commented on it. His ability, his willingness to treat everybody on the team the same, and maybe be a voice for people who feel they don't have it. Did you did you see that in him as you got to know him? Yeah, I, I really did. You know. He uh, one of one of the things about him. I mean, you know, they, they talk about humility, and that, uh, and, and it kind of falls in falls in there. But I think that I think you know Connor's he's different, right? He's he's one of those rare gifted gifted players. But I don't think that that he necessarily thinks of himself that that way. I mean, when he came, you remember when he came to training camp last year, he you know he didn't really want to answer any questions about the possibility of making the, you know about making the team, and he kept on saying, "Well, I don't know, I could be back in Erie," and we all knew he was going to be back in Erie. Um, I, there, I did I did feel that way, and you could see when he came back last year, um, and he really kind of took over right away, and. and you know, he's 19. At that point, he's 19 years old, but he's played 13 NHL games, and you know, you could see the reaction of his teammates, and they were they were like, uh, you know, oh, thank thank goodness Connor's back, and you know, I think that that's probably pretty rare for a 19 year old that's only played 13 NHL games. Uh, I mean, and they all talked about that that same thing that you just asked about that, you know, that uh, that he was a good teammate. That he, you know, that he looked looked out for uh, looked out for other players. Um, so I did see that. One of the things that I noticed, you know, the day that he was announced, that he was named the captain, it wasn't a surprise. I don't think that, you know, it was a very badly kept secret, and it was coming. A lot of people, you know, were concerned that that you know that he's only nineteen and. And this is too much uh, pressure, and you know there were some people that were saying, "Oh goodness, you're, you know this is a terrible decision by the Oilers." I mean, well, we'll you know we'll see how he responds, but I think we've already seen in preseason how he how he's responded. Um, but I get the you know I just get the idea that he's one of those rare players, and that I don't think that he looks at it as being you know. Uh, a burden is being placed on his shoulders. I think that this is what he was born and made for. Marty, awesome stuff. Look forward to reading the book, The McDavid Effect, 
now available. Uh, have fun. Can people go to this on Thursday quickly? Yes, they can. Uh, they can go on Thursday night. I think they have to. I think they have to get a ticket. You know, uh, when they're there, it's at uh, the Stanley Milner uh, Library, downtown library. Okay. And uh, the way it's set up, I have to do. You know, I'm going to do a, a reading, and there's going to be a moderator that we're going to talk about some of these things that we're probably talking about now. And and there will be book, books there. And I, you know, of course, I would gladly sign them for anybody. Right on. Hey, Marty, great to have you on the show. And, of course, I'll uh, see you at the rink in about 14 hours, buddy. <laughs> yeah, I can't look forward to seeing you there tomorrow, uh, Reed. That is Marty Klinkenberg, the new book, The McDavid Effect. Yeah, good stuff for Marty. Glad he was able to check in with that tonight. I know he's pretty busy getting the word out about that. It is 8.13. It is Inside Sports on 6.30, Chet. A little more hockey talk later this hour with Oilers blogger Matt Henderson. Always fun to catch up with him. But we will shift gears to the suddenly streaking Edmonton Eskimos, Blake Dermott, when we get back. You're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Edmonton Sports Leader, 630 Chad. Riley takes the drop, waits and throws, and he's looking for the end zone. There it is! Touchdown, Eskimos! And Brandon Zilstra has his first professional touchdown. Takes the snap. He'll give it to John White. Touchdown, Eskimos! John White with his third touchdown in two games, and the Eskimos increase the lead in Montreal. As Riley takes the snap, waits, again, pressure's coming. Riley runs and then throws. How about that touchdown for the Eskimos? Waiting and all alone for it was Chris Getzlaff in the end zone, who gets his second touchdown of the season. Waits and throws, and he's going deep. He's got a man deep downfield, and Darius Bowman. Oh, oh my what? goodness, what a catch by Darius Bowman. You won't see many better than that. Bowman went up in the air, two hands on the football, came down hard, and hung on to it. What a catch by Bowman. Come on. John White's got a pair as he takes it to the end zone for another touchdown for the Eskimos. They are piling on the Montreal Alouettes. They sure did. After a slow start, the Eskimos cruise to a 40-20 victory over a team that they should beat, and I'm glad they did in that fashion. And all of a sudden, the Eskimos uh, have people feeling uh, a lot better as we bring in our Eskimos analyst for our broadcast here on 630 Chet, Blake Dermott. Blake, welcome back to the show, buddy. How have you been? I'm good, Reed. Thanks for having me back. Yeah, good good to talk to you. And, uh, man, you know, that was one of those games uh, I was kind of watching it on my laptop at uh, at Oilers practice because, you know, I have that luxury of being able to do two things at once, neither one very effectively. But, uh, you know, there was the fumble and then uh, the other fumble. And I'm starting to think, like, oh, my God, they aren't going to hand this game to Montreal. But, man, once they got rolling, I, I didn't think that was a close game at all. Well, you, if you were watching the game, you would have felt the same way. It just wasn't close uh, after that first maybe five, six minutes uh, feeling out process. I mean, you think about, think about the things. And I always bring this up, especially on, on Eastern road trips, but that's an 11 o'clock start for the Eskimos. That's, that's a, a real early start in and weather conditions considerably better there. I mean, your body has to get adjusted to the climate. Your, your body has to get adjusted to timing. You know that it, it's not surprising that they were sort of uh, had that kind of start uh, for the first maybe you know half hour of the game uh, because because they they just you, you really it, folks you don't understand I mean you understand what jet lag is all about but 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 try to do that at, at the highest level of your athleticism and and suffer from jet lag. Um, I thought they did a really nice job of managing it and and let's face it they're a better team than the team that they played 
and uh, you know once they got over that early part of the, the the early part of the first quarter, they just as you said they they were the best team and it wasn't even close. They're eight and seven, fourth in the West and fourth in the CFL. I'm not going to get in my uh, rant against the divisions tonight, but it's 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 a weird situation. They have had two three game losing streaks. They have had two three-game winning streaks. So we've been here before feeling a little encouraged after having won three in a row. Is this different than earlier in the year when they put together a three-game run? Well, I, I think it is, um, and, and I hope it is, because the end is in sight now. You know, when you, when you put in a, a, you get a little bit of a, a streak going early in the season, and a lot of times it's still, you know, it's difficult for you to see the end of the season and the light of the tunnel, but... But with only three games left to go, uh, the emphasis, and like Mike Riley said at the beginning of the game, before the game, and all week, and this is playoff games. They're, they're playing playoff games. They, every game that they play, they have to. There's, there's nothing that they can do uh, but think that they've got to they've have every part of their team concentrating and emphasizing the wins uh, at this point in the season. And uh, because they're playing for their their lives, uh, I, I know that they've secured a spot now uh, with this win, and, and Saskatchewan uh, uh, being mathematically out of it now. But nonetheless, um, they're playing for they're playing for a home field a home field game, and I still think that that's possible with the way they're playing. With BC coming up, which is a team that they're playing against, and BC's got. Uh, uh, they got a tough game this weekend against uh, Winnipeg, and then they got uh, then they got the Eskimos right after that. I, I could see the I could see these guys swapping places quite easily, and then they've got Hamilton who is reeling with Kolaris uh, the Kolaris injury, and then of course Toronto the, the round up the season, and and that could be one of the worst football teams that the CFL seen in a while. And it's it's surprising because you know they, they had so much promise even at the halfway point of the season, but they've had injury problems and they just had like a, a locker room that's just imploding. So the Eskimo schedule is really strong for a, for a really good, strong finish. And uh, that's why I say I think they've got an excellent chance of hosting a playoff game. Well, they would need help, but you're, at least we're talking about it. It's not totally impossible. You're right. Blake Dermott, our Eskimos analyst, joining us here on Inside Sports. Both John White and Shakir Bell have had big games over the last month, Blake. I mean, we, we recognize that they're both quality backs, but I want to ask you, what is happening besides the performance of the back themselves that has allowed two different guys to excel out of that position? Well, I think that the schemes, uh, when you look at how many times the Eskimos have rushed the ball, their their percentage of rush to pass, I think there was only one team that was uh, was better than them, and that might have been BC, uh, had more, like I think the Eskimos percentage was 33 to 34 percent, and BC was 34 to 35 percent. So it's very close, and, and a lot of the other teams are around 30 percent or below 30 percent. So um, when you when you emphasize you're going to run the ball, then you should be better at running the ball than other teams. Uh, put together with the Eskimos, one of the things that this has been really lucky, and I look back to the the Great Cup teams that I played on and the and the playoff success that we had was our offensive line had little or no change over the course of the season. And when you look at the, the Eskimos' offensive line, they're, with the exception of maybe one game here or one game there, I think Justin Sorensen was the longest guy being out for two games. Um, their, their consistency at that, in that group um, you know, has, has just been second to none. And, and look at the teams, like the, the one that they just played in Montreal. Uh, their offensive line is just in shambles. And, and they've had so many. There's only one guy on their off, starting on their offensive lineman, uh, Jeff Parrott, who has played every game this year. 
So that makes it very difficult to be cohesive in both the pass game and the run game. And when you look at the Eskimos' run game and their pass game, it's not surprising that the consistent play by that offensive line is a big reason why they're having success. And and I'm not saying that they're, they're that strong that you could just plug anybody in there in the backfield, but we, you've got two very, very strong running backs uh, for the Eskimos, and they're getting some great help from the big guys up front. And I think that when you've got a quarterback who can throw the ball so much uh, and throw the ball so well, that also opens up your passing, your running game, because teams start to emphasize against the pass, and it, and it allows you to take advantage of some of the run. Well, it's been encouraging, and it's making the stretch drive fun. And uh, regardless of what the East is doing, uh, it's really competitive now between Winnipeg, BC, and Edmonton. And Calgary might go 16-1-1, which would be a, a record. So, so a lot of things to watch for down the stretch. Blake, thanks for checking in tonight, buddy. We'll do this again. All right, Reed. Thanks a lot. And you know what? If Calgary goes 16-1-1, they're going to lose in the playoffs. <laughs> there it is. Let's save that soundbite, Patrick. Thanks, Blake. <laughs> okay. All right. Talk to you later. Uh, frustrated fan texting in. He goes, can you ask Blake if he uh, what he thinks the punishment should be for the Eskimos not being mic'd up? I think they should lose the money from the TV broadcaster. Well, frustrated fan, we have Blake on to talk about the stuff on the field. But I'll, I'll talk about that since it was a, a, a trending topic yesterday. Look, I, I think it, it would have been great for the Eskimos to wear the mics but I have no better reason for them doing it other than the fact that everybody else did it even though they didn't really want to. Um, I, I think I think the league's probably going to come down on them and find them. They've, they've fined Ed Hervey and the Eskimos before. Um, quite frankly, I, I think the league um, gets a little ticked off with the Eskimos sometimes, and that's probably why they got such a horrible schedule this year. I think that figured into it. I do think that it's being made too much of an issue of the fact that they didn't wear the mics. And quite frankly, the live mics added pretty much nothing to me for the broadcast. I know some people disagree with me. That's fine. They didn't do much for me. I watched the Hamilton-Calgary game, the first one they wore the mics, and I was incredibly disappointed with how little they offered. And I think it's a waste of time that was force-fed to viewers by TSN who refused to admit that it wasn't working and it wasn't effective. effective. Having said that, if you say you're going to do it and other teams are doing it, you should probably do it, though Though they did have the option of not doing it. So I, I think the, you know, the rule also should have been if one team doesn't do it in a game, neither team does it. But, I, I mean, in the grand scheme of things, I think it's a minor issue, but I think the league will come down on the Eskimos just because they can. You can text 630, A little more hockey talk in the next half hour with Matt Henderson from Oilers Nation. And we'll see how Quinn Oler from Global is doing after running 50 kilometers. You're listening to 630 Ched Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Oh, a little classic Van Halen. Nothing wrong with that. Sing it, David Lee. Oh, yeah. I'm dancing right now. I may go out dancing after work now. Not going to lie. 4-2 Giants leading the Cubs. Bottom of the fifth baseball playoffs. Thanks for tuning in tonight. It's Inside Sports on 630 Chet. Oilers game on this station tomorrow night. Hey, I hope you had a great Thanksgiving. Uh, I'm sure many of you, and I'm not I'm not faulting you or judging you, but it's Thanksgiving. I'm sure many of you spent it uh, eating excessively, maybe uh, sleeping in, maybe uh, lying around a little more than you used to. Well, our next guest on the weekend, 
just uh, did a little thing known as a 50-kilometer run. It's Quinn Oler from Global Television here in Edmonton. Hey, Quinn, welcome back to the show. Hi, thanks so much for having me back. How are you feeling? <laughs> well, I'm alive, and I guess that's a good thing, oh, but geez. I'm pretty sore today. <laughs> so this, this was, uh, what's it called, the Grizzly Run? Is that what it's called? Yeah, the Grizzly Ultra Marathon. In, and it was in Canmore, or I guess in and around Canmore. Yeah, so it started at the Nordic Centre, and the nice thing about this ultramarathon is it does loops, five different legs, and they all come back to the Nordic Centre. So you can stop and refuel as you're doing your 50K. Okay, so you weren't, this wasn't one of those, like, death race things where you're running through the bush and, uh, like, cougars are attacking you while you're running or anything like that. Well, we had to carry bear spray. It's okay. uh, definitely a warning that we get, and there's a big speech beforehand about how to use your bear spray properly so you don't take out a competitor or yourself by accident or anything like that. But um, it's all trail running, so you are going through um, trails. It's not in town. It's not flat. It's definitely it's about two and a half kilometers elevation on the trail. So. Okay, all right. So uh, what... And, and we had you on the show a couple of months ago after the Edmonton Marathon because we wanted to t- talk about your experiencing spirits there. Now, what prompted you to think, well, 42K is not enough. I'm going to add another eight to that. <laughs> <laughs> when you say it like that, you make me sound crazy. Jeez. <laughs> We're all crazy um, to run, aren't we? <laughs> well, it was actually a, a friend of mine, uh, Christy from Blitz Conditioning and commented to me about how he wanted to do this race and asked if I wanted to do it with him and then uh, it kind of got carried away and that was back in February I think and I was like well I have lots of time to train for that it'll be fine how hard can it be (laughs) and so uh, yeah kind of got suckered into it and a lot of it always comes back to people always tell me well either I'm crazy for doing it or I can't do it, and that's what really encourages me to actually do it. I guess my mom was always the one who used that to her advantage, tell me I can't do something to make me do it. So. Right. <laughs> what, what, what was most challenging during the race, Quinn? Um, something I was diagnosed with uh, type 1 diabetes back in April. Uh, one of the things that I really struggled with on this and something that I didn't struggle with as much at the uh, Edmonton Marathon when I did it was actually my sugar levels. I was hitting a lot of sugar lows, which is pretty dangerous for people with type 1 diabetes. So I think that was the hardest thing, and just getting up those hills. I mean, it's not just like you're walking up a hill in the River Valley. You're actually climbing mountains to do this 50K. So between the two things, I think that was the most challenging part. Well, and and I know you you've been pretty open about it, which which I think is cool. And I've I, I've uh, you know read some of the stuff you wrote about uh, being diagnosed as as diabetic. Has that been, well? I'm probably a stupid question, but I'll just ask it this way and and let you go with the answer. And this, how has this been life changing for you? It must have been pretty uh, pretty shocking, I suppose. Yeah, I was suffering uh, quite a bit from exhaustion. I say suffering, I shouldn't say it like that. Um, I was struggling quite a bit with exhaustion. It was getting to the point where I was really struggling to do my job and couldn't really do too much more than that. So when I got the blood test and figured out what exactly was going on and I got the diagnosis, to be honest, it it was a bit of a relief to find out that something was actually wrong. I had kind of played it up in my head that something... It, w- it was something mental, it wasn't something physical, and that, um, you know, even though I was working full-time and still working out like crazy, that 
I was just being lazy and that I needed to just snap out of it. So it was a bit of a relief, to be honest. But then at the same time, I've now had to completely change my the way I approach training. I was already in training. Um, insulin can do some pretty crazy things to your body, especially when it comes to carbohydrates and sugars and making sure that your sugar levels are level um, and what normal would be. Um, so I had to approach training a totally different way. And there was days where I couldn't train on days where I needed to because my sugar levels were too high or too low and um, so when it comes to training it was that it was getting used to doing needles all the time it was getting used to uh, checking my sugars all the time Um, I wasn't used to any of that I was used to just doing my own thing and being a journalist a lot of times we skip meals and we're out running around and forget to eat or something like that and I really can't do that anymore it can get uh, pretty dangerous for me if I decide that I accidentally miss a meal or something like that well, when you're in sports broadcasting, you often eat extra meals, but I guess we have a different pace to <laughs> our jobs. Things are a little different for you. They feed you a little better. <laughs> uh, Quinn, just a couple more before I let you go. Quinn Oler from Global Television joining us. She ran a 50K ultra marathon over the weekend. What did you do after the race? What kind of shape were you in? Oh, I was in, I got to the finish line and um, actually the November Project Canada guys were there and just cheering us on. Uh, I don't I don't work out with them or anything like that. They were just there cheering, and that was really awesome to see. It was good to see Edmonton people, and then gave hugs. My family was there as well, so gave lots of hugs and stuff like that. And then <laughs> had a cookie dough blizzard and a big <laughs> hamburger and got in the vehicle, and we had to drive home. And I think that's where <laughs> the pain started was in my legs when I was sitting in the vehicle driving home. <laughs> So um, it was a pretty painful trip back to Edmonton, uh, but my fiancé worked Monday morning, so we had to be back in the city. So it was kind of a quick go through the drive-thru, get something to eat, and get home. So pretty sore, and then got home and had a Epsom salt bath and <laughs> prayed that I could sleep. <laughs> All right. Uh, and what, what's, your, what's your next goal, Quinn? Do you have a race you want to do next? Oh, at this point, um, <laughs> well, Chris and I, uh, who ran it, we ran it side by side. It was um, he was pretty awesome with me, but we both promised each other we would never do that again. About forty-five k, and we were <laughs> a pretty hurting unit. So um, I'm just going to take a break for a little while and uh, see what the next thing is. I don't know if I'll ever do a fifty k again, but. Um, Going to be doing. I'm not going to give up fitness just yet. That's for sure. Well, uh, well great stuff. And uh, even if you never do a 50k again, you have done one more than the vast majority of the population. So good for you, Quinn. Love having <laughs> you on the you. show. Thanks for sharing your experience with us. Congratulations on finishing the 50k. And uh, I know we'll talk again. But all the best. All right. Thanks so much, Reed. That is Quinn Oler checking in from Global Television. How about that? Patrick Bauer is our studio operator on the other side of the window. Patrick, first of all, welcome to the Inside Sports uh, domain. You are, you are about to be heard by the 14 people listening. I'm just going to finish chewing this sandwich. Hang on. Oh, I brought him in right <laughs> when he's eating. That's great. And the new guy's eating. You gave me the opportunity. I had to what's, take it. What's the longest you have ever run in one session? <laughs> <laughs> my mouth or my legs? <laughs> yeah, you're <laughs> not not 50k, not even close. Have you done a, a 10k? No. Okay, you're maybe a, a five, maybe five. Fair when enough. I was young, We're, nothing wrong with that. But no. uh, Quinn, clearly, if you've run a 50k, regardless of how long it takes, you are uh, in my mind among the elite runners in the world. Absolutely, so, that's uh, unbelievable. Good for Quinn, and I appreciate that she shares her stories. 
about uh, uh, about being diagnosed as diabetic in April and what she's had to go through. Clearly, that's a, a jarring uh, diagnosis. And Quinn's, you know, a, a relatively young person in the grand scheme of things, I think in an age range where you wouldn't expect that to happen. So, uh, you know, good for her. I would to, expect it to be an obstacle to running a 50K as well. Like, Well, clear, and she talked about having to monitor in race and uh, needles and all that stuff. So... Uh, yeah, that was great to have Quinn on the show. We'll talk to her. We'll talk to her again. She's a very interesting person. All right, it is eight forty-two. Speaking of interesting people, the uh, legendary Oilers blogger, archaeological guy—that's not even how you say it, but that's how I say it. Matt Henderson. Up next, inside sports on Chet. This is Cam Talbot from your Edmonton Oilers, and you're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio six thirty. Chet. All right. Good to have you tuning in tonight. It's 847. My name is Reed Wilkins. Some texts here to 63630. Just had Quinn Oler from Global on the show talking about running the 50K Ultra Marathon in Canmore over the weekend. Zib says, really appreciate Quinn's truthfulness, openness, and sincerity. That is a great story. Frustrated fan says, I watched Ice Guardians last weekend. Great documentary. Uh, we, had, we had Adam Scorgi on the show before the Edmonton International, or no, not before the film festival, before the premiere, the Edmonton premiere of Ice Guardians. That was great to have him on the show, local guy who produced it. Uh, Sam says, hey, Reed, this Versteeg thing looks like the Glencross deal, which is going to come back and bite the Oilers. Why is Edmonton always two steps behind Calgary, like with Jerome Messam? Okay, first of all, we can, we can debate Versteeg, he he was offered a contract by the Oilers. He chose to sign with Calgary because of the roster opportunities. Um, I guess the Oilers could have offered him way more money, and maybe he would have picked Edmonton. Then probably people would be mad about that. So I don't think that's a crippling move that Versteeg isn't here. But I will say though that though we can debate it, that's fine. I will say this: I I don't think. Uh, maybe maybe Sam's joking. I don't think the Jerome Messam situation and Christopher Stieg and Curtis Glencross are comparable. I mean, Jerome Messam played for two other teams between the Eskimos and the Stampeders, okay? So let's let's not get let's not get carried away with Calgary is uh, always stealing players uh, Edmonton wants as we bring in Matt Henderson from uh, Oilers Nation and the Oilers blogosphere in general. Hello, Matt. Hey, how are you doing? Good, buddy. I just... Jerome Messam, Edmonton traded him to Montreal. Then he went to Saskatchewan. Then Saskatchewan traded him to Calgary. I just want to be yeah, clear. Yeah, that's not the same. That's the Eskimos the did not give Jerome Messam to Calgary. So let's calm no, down. That one, that's definitely not it. Uh, <laughs> just, I don't mean to pick on Sam, but I think he's just getting a little overly negative there. That's all. Uh, <laughs> Okay. Uh, for, well, well, that's first something of all, I've never been accused of before. Oh, it's great to have you on the show, buddy. Don't worry about it. Uh, by the <laughs> way, I got a tweet here from uh, Scoobs who says, uh, well, about your appearance on the show, Arch is going to be lit. Get your popcorn <laughs> ready. All right. I don't all know right. who Scoobs yeah, is. Okay, I got but... some, some expectations to live up to here. <laughs> uh, that's funny. Uh, by the way, how do you say your Twitter handle again? Archaeologi. I always say it wrong. That's why I just get you to say it. Archaeologi. I can say it after I hear you say it, but I I, I can't uh, I can't do it on my own. All right, here's yeah, I, my. I should probably pick something easier. <laughs> yeah, probably. Well, you're my favorite uh, Twitter follower who has a stone head as his avatar. <laughs> I'm, I I cornered that market. Yeah. 
you really you nailed it. Okay, here's the thing. Uh, things like Kajula and Pugliarve perhaps playing significant minutes worry me a little more than Versteeg leaving. And I know you can argue, well, if Versteeg's here, uh, maybe well, that they're all connected. They're, maybe maybe they're, they're all connected, connected a, a little bit. But I don't view. Uh, I think Versteeg would have been helpful, but I don't think that's a devastating move that he's that he chose Calgary. See, I disagree with you. No, I, I actually do disagree with you on that one. Um, you know, I've watched a lot of the preseason. In fact, I've watched, I've watched every minute of the preseason um, uh, because, you know, it's kind of my job. And if I weren't, wasn't doing it, people would figure out that I'm just sort of making things up as I go along. <clears throat> uh, and by my estimation, Christopher Stieg was the second best right wing in Oilers camp. And I'm not counting Leon Dreisaitl because Leon Dreisaitl only played one game at wing. He came in and was playing center for the other game that he played. Uh, he he got one game in as a right wing at the end, and then they decided, okay, well, he's going to be a winger now. Um, but before that, as far as right shot, right wings go, Chris Versteeg was easily the second best. It was Eberle and Chris Versteeg. Then it was Nail Yakupov, and then it was Cassian, and then a very, very, very distant fifth was Pugliarvi. Like a very distant fifth was Pugliarvi. He at no point uh, did anything to make you think that he was ready for NHL action. The fact that they've put him in now, the fact that they indicated to Versteeg that he was going to have fewer opportunities here than he would in in another place like in Calgary is somewhat criminal based on what we saw because there is no reason whatsoever why... Uh, Chris Versteeg should be anything other than a top nine winger on the Edmonton Oilers. He was hands down better than everybody else except Jordan Aberle. So that so, okay, but here's my here's my and fair points. But how much would have you paid him then? Like well, if, if they're going, if he, if he was hey, never going to get more than a million, easily easily match that one million or just less than one million. In in a heartbeat, I would do that especially if it meant being able to put Puyi down in the minors where he belongs so he can learn uh, the North American rink size and the North American game for 20 minutes a night on an offensive line in a level of competition he can succeed in, uh, I would happily pay $1 million to Chris Versteeg to make that happen. Uh, and it, it just makes sense. In fact, it would probably end up cheaper for the Oilers to have Chris Versteeg, who is a superior player to Puyarvi today, not in the future, today, uh, to pay him $1 million rather than have Puyarvi and his uh, rather expensive entry-level contract uh, playing uh, third-line minutes and or potentially even higher. Like, as of right now, if... Leon Dreisaitl has to go to uh, center for some reason. That means the next best or the, the number two winger on the team will be Jesse Pugliarvi, a kid who scored one goal and, and just recorded the one point in six preseason games. Six, <clears throat> pardon me, six preseason games, nine shots on goal. That's it. And the goal that he did score he scored from long distance. It wasn't an NHL goal. That is not happening against a real NHL goaltender. If he had been facing any other goalie on any other night, he would have finished the preseason with 
zeros across the board. He's not ready. All right, I, but the Oilers did offer Versteeg similar, if not the same contract, though. They I, did, but they didn't offer him the opportunity. They said this kid who hasn't earned his spot is going to have one ahead of you. Versteeg, according to Darren Drager, was more concerned about the Oilers wanting him to be a part-time player. And how do you offer him a job as a part-time player when he's the second-best winger or right winger in your camp? This crazy talk. Only the Oilers could have screwed this up. There's only one team that could have looked at everything that happened in the preseason and said, uh, I'll take this rookie who hasn't done anything uh, over this NHL veteran who's looked significantly better. All right. Well, I mean, the roster can obviously change quickly, though. It's only, it's, it's only the opening day roster. So yeah, we'll who knows? They could have picked somebody up around. on waivers. Well, come on, Matt. I mean, how many guys get picked up on waivers that turn out to be contributors? Hey, uh, P.A. Parenteau had, I think, 40 points last year in the NHL. Uh, that Pulkinen kid did quite well uh, in, in terms of the fancy stats. I know the fancy stats guys really love him. Uh, you could have had Mark McNeil. I mean, there were NHL players who were on waivers, and they opted not to get any of them. So they traded away Akapov for nothing, didn't get anything for him. You want to argue if that's good or bad? addition by subtraction, fine. But they didn't get anything for him. Then they let uh, uh, Versteeg walk away. And when the opportunity came to pick up a real live NHL body, they chose not to do it. The Edmonton Oilers, for the first time in I don't know how long, could have very easily had no rookies in their forward lineup in all four lines. Instead, now they have a third line with a rookie center who's in his very first professional season and a rookie raw 18-year-old winger who is at worst going to be their third line winger, uh, or I should say at best going to be their third line winger, and at worst for the Oilers promoted to be their second line winger. This is not good and it was easily avoidable. All right, well, one of Kajula or Pugliarvi was going to be on the team, so... But it doesn't have to be, but it didn't have to be that way. No, but even if they would have kept Versteeg, one of those guys would have been around, right? If they wanted to do that, if they could have picked up, kept Versteeg, picked up any one of those waiver wire players like P.A. Parento and moved Dreisaitl back to the center where he should be, then you could have had no rookies, not one of them. All right, we're short on time, so that's your answer to what I was going to ask you, uh, what you're most discouraged about with the team. Uh, you got 20, 20 seconds. What are you most encouraged about? Uh, Connor McDavid, hands down. Despite all the everything that I just said, Connor McDavid is incredible. He, I believe, will score 100 points this year. I really do honestly believe he can score 100, and he will carry the Oilers on his back and they will be a better team because they have him for 82 games this year, knock on wood. All right, Matt, great to have you on the show, buddy. We'll talk again, okay? You bet. Thank you. All right, that is Matt Henderson checking in. I want to thank our other guests tonight, Blake Dermott, Quinn Oler, Marty Klinkenberg, Rob Brown, Jason Strudwick, Pat Steinberg. You miss anything, go to the Inside Sports page on 630Ched.com. 6 o'clock tomorrow, we sign on from Rogers Place. Thanks to our new studio producer, Patrick Bauer. Dave Campbell is the producer of Inside Sports. I'm Reed Wilkins. We'll talk again soon. She kind of 
630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad.